whatever your mind might be tempted to be distracted by, just kind of give those things up to God, name them if you need to, but ultimately just stay in this moment. And as you stand there, just take a moment just to be silent and still. If you notice anxieties coming to your mind, just give those up to God. If you notice distractions or things that you know don't really matter coming to your mind, give those up as well. And just be present to see what is it that God might be laying on your heart and your mind. Silence is often the place where we meet God. And so, Father, your word says we can call you Father. A word only of love to you. God, I pray that you will meet us right in this moment. That you'll heal our hearts, our fears, our anxieties. All the things, the areas of our lives where maybe we're trying to control. God, we give those up to you. And in turn, we just receive your love, your truth, because we trust you. And wherever you're leading us, we know it's good. And so, God, would you come and do a transformative work in each of us? Thank you for your word. And as we close, will you just uh, sing these words with me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sing that over and over. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That means ten thousand praises. Hallelujah. 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 of you, God, who are we but human beings, yet you are mindful of us. Come work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys may have a seat. Have a seat. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, We are in week two of uh, this series we're calling Made for Mission, um, where every week in the month of January, we're trying to help all of us discern what is the distinct, unique purpose, calling that God has for our lives. And last week, we really hit on how does that distinct purpose fit into God's bigger vision purpose. So we opened up Jesus' great commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, a passage so important that we plastered it on the back walls of this sanctuary. 
to talk about what does it mean to make disciples or followers of Jesus of all nations. That we're called to know him, become like him, and then do what he did as a result of that. That's what a disciple is. But as I was thinking about it this week, I was like, man, that's kind of a daunting task, don't you think? Disciples of all nations? We're supposed to go do that? And I was realizing, I have a hard time feeding my two-year-old dinner. And God wants me to go make disciples of all nations? It's kind of a daunting task. How in the world are we supposed to do that? Because I certainly can't. I don't know how. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But before I do that, um, when I was about seven years old, I distinctly remember this, this experience, going to my best friend Ben's house. Uh, ben and I were playing. You know, we hung out a lot, but we were playing with Ninja Turtles or something, and we got kind of tired of it. And so we're like, what do we do now? And Ben's like, I got it. Let's go fishing. He had this pond back behind his house. And so, uh, 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 okay. But I was immediately kind of leery of this idea. I'm, I've never been a very impulsive person. I like to know what I'm doing before I jump into it. And so I said, Ben, like, uh, your dad's coming with us, right? No, 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 he's busy. Don't, don't worry about it. We'll just go out and fish together. And if you know anything about my friend Ben, and even if he were standing here right now, I would tell you, Ben is about as, as impulsive as an unleashed dog in a butcher shop. Like, he just, he just goes. Doesn't think, just goes. And so I, I said, uh, all right. He'd already gone down to the basement, grabbed his poles. He was headed outside. I said, oh, well, here we go. Got outside, and uh, looking back, I realized neither of us really knew how to cast. And our hooks didn't even have bait on them. I think we were just hoping maybe like the fish on their normal daily commute would just kind of bump into it. So we had no clue what we were doing. But we get out there and we hurl, it's not cast, hurl these hooks out into the water. Um, Problem is we threw them in the same general direction. So our lines got a little tangled. Actually, really tangled. And before you knew it, we were trying to get them loose. Not like people who knew what they were doing. We were doing about this number with our poles. And Ben, like a dog who finally got a hold of the meat in the butcher shop, was just going like this. So hard that he yanked the pole out of my hand. And before I knew it, I was in the back seat of his dad's station wagon on the way to the emergency room because I had the hook, the baitless hook, completely through my index finger. I mean, it was like, right? We had no clue what we were doing. But I give you this picture in the story because this is a picture for me of what happens when we try to go at the mission of God without God. I think all of us, you know, we have this mission of go make disciples, go be the church, do help people, love people, all these things. And for some of us, we're like, we're like Ben. We just want to jump out there. We're going to talk to people. We're going to make big ministries, big church. We're going to make a splash for God. But there's not always a whole lot of wisdom in it. And people end up getting hurt in the process. (laughs) Or some people are more like me. I don't know if I even know what to do. You know, who am I? I can't do anything. This is a big deal. And we hang back. Problem is, 
nothing happens. Nothing gets done. No disciples are even really being made because, well, I don't really know what I can do. But I think either of those two extreme responses are really because we forget how Jesus ends his great commission. We talked about it last week when he said, Behold, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. That none of us were meant to go at this mission for God without God. If I had gone out fishing with Ben's dad, we might have actually caught something. But when we try to jump out there doing for God, but not actually knowing what it means to be with God, we start getting ourselves in trouble. So I want to explain what does it mean to be with God? How do we do that? And to unpack that, we're going to be reading from John 14, verses 12 to 27 together. So let's turn there. John chapter 14, verses 12 to 27. To give you a little context, Jesus is speaking to his followers, his apprentices, his disciples, his compadres, hours before he is arrested and then crucified. And he is telling them what they need to know before he goes. And so it's a pretty weighty section, but it shows that Jesus is like, I need you to know these things before I go. And we're just going to be looking at a section of that. John 14, verse 12. So if you'll check it out with me. John 14, starting at verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater works than these. Because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will not be loved by, or the one who loves me will be loved, sorry, by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas not Judas Iscariot, not the one who betrayed him, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. Now pay attention to this. But the advocate, everybody say advocate, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I will not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Say these words after me. God, speak to my heart. Speak to my mind. Change my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this portion that we just read is a part of a greater whole in the Gospel of John called the Upper Room Discourse. 
where Jesus, like I said, is instructing his disciples before he goes. He has told them that he is leaving, and they are internally, I believe, freaking out. They had given their whole lives to follow him the past three years, and now Jesus says he's going to a place where they can no longer go. And so you can imagine the questions in their minds, but now Jesus is telling them what they need to know before he goes. Before they go out on this mission, what do they need to understand? Before we go out fishing, what do we need to realize and know? Well, first, God has great things ahead, but only a sincere love for Jesus will take us there. God has great things ahead, but only a sincere love for Jesus will take us there. Check this out. Verse 12. That still boggles my mind. He says, very truly I tell you. And anytime you see very truly, that's Jesus' way of saying pay attention, perk up, listen to this. Whoever believes in me, that is his church, his followers, will do the works I have been doing. huh? And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. A father was a name Jesus often used for God. Now, did you catch that in there? It helps that I underlined the word. But did you catch this? That Jesus said, you guys, us, all those who follow him are to do greater things than he did? Are you telling me that the guy who healed people, who rose people from the dead, I'm supposed to do greater things than that? Well, that's where our mind immediately goes. But what Jesus is saying here when he says greater, he's not referring to more impressive miracles. He is saying the impact that you, my followers, are going to have across this world will be greater than I had while living on it. He said, because remember, the commission is to go to not just Israel, but all nations. In Acts 1.8, he said, you aren't going to just stay in Jerusalem and Judea. You're going to go to Samaria, the next area over, and to the ends of the earth. Do you not see that that's been happening over the past 2,000 years? And it's still going. That there is this mission that has happened that is spurring out across the world. And all of this, Jesus said in the next couple of verses, in verses 13, 14, he says, is for the glory of my Father. He said, Father is that family term. He said, this family of God is growing, and the more that it grows, and the more people come to know him, the more that it points back to how good the Father is. And the reason why Jesus did everything he did was out of love for the Father, love for us, that we might be a part of this grand family. But just as love for the Father is the thing that drove Jesus' mission and ministry, we also need to understand, Jesus says, that only our love for him will be the sustainable fuel for the mission he has given us. Only a love for Jesus can be the sustainable fuel for the mission that he's given us. Verse 15, Jesus tells them, If you love me, keep my commands. Live the life that I've called you to do, including this mission. It's so important, he repeats it again in verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Now to clarify, Jesus is not saying, if you love me, you'll do this like a guilt-tripping relative who says, if you really love me, you'd visit more often. Right? That's not the way he's saying this. Because that's just a manipulative, selfish, controlling kind of love. Instead, he's saying love and obedience must go hand in hand. 
To love without obedience might be a flighty feeling, but that's actually infidelity. To obey without love is just a harsh, dry legalism. You know, I I need to point this out because there are certain personalities in here, and I am certainly one of them. Don't ask my wife. But I am certainly one of them that we thrive on responsibility, achievement, getting things done. And sometimes, like with that drive, that task-oriented drive of certain types, man, we are busy. And we're thinking, man, I'm doing things for Jesus. I am going places for people. Like, I'm going to be sharing the word. You're doing all of these ministries and you're all over the place. But it's easy to forget why we do it all in the first place. And before we know it, we are busy, busy, busy. But now we feel as if we are doing it now to earn God's love instead of from a place of love. That we are so focused on achievement that we now feel this pressure to perform. And before we know it, we, the joy is sucked out of this whole mission of God, and it all feels just like a hundred-pound weight that we're carrying around on our already tired shoulders. I know I'm the only one in here who deals with things like this. But when we fall into this line of thinking that the mission of God is just a burden to carry, stuff i got to do, achieve, get done, Every deed is never enough. And every sin is another reason why we don't like ourselves. Because it's not from a place of understanding God's love for us or our love for Him. If we just obey without love, it ends up in harsh, dry, lifeless legalism. To love without obedience, though, is infidelity, too. Over 10 years ago, um, I chose to give up my freedom to date anyone I chose. There weren't a whole lot of people anyway. Um, Because most of the time it was those who chose me, and that just wasn't a big list. But I did, anyway, theoretically, right? Like I gave up my, my freedom to date anybody else. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna vow my life to Shelby. Not because I dreamed of becoming a robotic spouse. But because I looked and this love filled me to the point where I said, you know what? A life with her is better than a fling with a thousand others. And when we come to follow Jesus, he said, when you understand that it's love that's driving you, like the lifestyle follows out out of that. You know that Jesus' love language is action. That's certainly what he seems to be suggesting here. But you know, 20 plus years ago, when I started getting a glimpse of God's love for me, the kind of love that would give up heaven's glory and a celestial crown for a wooden cross and a crown of thorns, that starts doing something to you. Like you start thinking, man, like the day you fall in love, right? Like it's like it starts messing with your head. And now all of a sudden you start realizing what Psalm 84 was talking about when the the psalmist said, I would rather spend one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper 
in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wicked. In other words, I would like the comforts of this world, the status, the power, the pleasure, the entertainment that this world may give me, it doesn't compare to being with my God and to knowing Him. This is no dead religion. And I get it. Sometimes we lose sight of God's love. Even though Jesus says, I want to come make my home in you. He says in verse 23, he says, those who love me and obey me, he said, my father and I will come make our home within you. Sometimes we settle for paying exorbitant prices for the cheap hotels of human pleasure, entertainment, the approval of people, power, status. We go after that, but God's like, oh, come on, man. Jesus is like, if you will know what my love is like and come follow me, you will see that I make my permanent residence my address in you. And a day with him is better than a thousand elsewhere. I believe that as Jesus says, God has greater things ahead. He's always leading us there. But only a sincere love and understanding his love for us as we learn to live that out will ultimately take us there. But how do we get to know it? How do we learn to not just do all of these things for God, but actually to live out of that love? Well, what else does Jesus explain to his followers in this passage? Before we start running out to the pond in all of our zeal, what do we need to realize? Second, what we do for God is only meant to be done with him. What we do for God is only meant to be done with him. Have you ever had those times in your life when uh, you're listening to somebody and you got this face like you're really taking in what you're saying, but internally you really have no clue what they're saying? Yeah, that's exactly how I treat my car mechanic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carburetor. Uh-huh. Oil. Yes, yes. Just trying to just repeat what he says so he thinks I know. Because I don't want to be a sucker, right? Who wants to be a sucker? But I kind of feel like that's the same attitude that the disciples are listening to Jesus with. You know, they're sitting, Jesus said, I'm going away. And on the outside, they got this brave face. Internally, they're freaking out. But Jesus catches all of that. He does, because in verse 18, he says, hey, hey, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. Instead, in verses 16 and throughout this passage, he explains to them. He said, I'm going to send you another I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now, let's unpack that a little bit before we keep going. Because what does this word advocate mean? Well, we need to understand a little Greek in order to get that word advocate. Because the the Greek to English is difficult to translate in this passage. Advocate gets a part of it, but not really the whole thing. The, the original word for advocate is a word, a Greek word, paraclete. Not parakeet, like the Tweety bird. Paraclete. Right? And, and, and if you want to understand what paraclete means, you really have to combine our meaning of, of advocate and counselor and comforter and, and helper and friend. Get all those words up there if you don't mind. And to, in order to try to get that full word in it. Can we get that word up there? Next one, over. There we go. 
intercessor even. And as we start to combine these words together, we get a more full picture of what that original word was trying to convey. The big point is that the one Jesus is sending us is clearly for us, not against us. But just to give you a little even better understanding of this phrase, when he says, I will give you, or, and he will give you another, that, that another could be translated as another like me. Jesus himself, in 1 John 2, 1, is called an advocate. And he's saying, I'm not sending you just a rando guy. I'm sending you one like me. For you. One who is from me. It is actually the very presence of Jesus with us. But why? Why did he come? For what purpose did he come? And Jesus explains in this passage that the advocate gives us 2020 vision so that we can learn to see reality. All right? First off, he's called the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in church we throw out Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. We'd never stop to think why would he use the word holy because holy is pure. Holy is only, can, can only lead you to God. And then he says second, he says this is called the Spirit of Truth who in verse 26 will teach you all things and will remind you of everything he said. He is the Spirit of reality, you could say. Have you ever had those moments, some of us, where maybe you're in a situation and all of a sudden this Bible verse will just pop in your mind and you're like, where did that come from? Or for, for me, I I've often have, if I'm discouraged or going through something, this random worship song will just come into my head that I haven't heard in months. And as I stop to listen or sing it, I'm realizing, oh my goodness, these lyrics speak right to my situation. Or you've ever those times when you're around somebody or something and all of a sudden like you have an understanding of what's going on that you're realizing, I don't really, I shouldn't really know, be able to discern what's real here. Or, I think this is all of us, you ever have those times when you know you're doing something you shouldn't be doing and you feel wildly uncomfortable in that situation? That's a gracious Holy Spirit <laughs> saying, come on back, come on back. This spirit of truth, he's always exposing the lies we tend to believe about God, about ourselves. Leading us toward who God is, that we might ultimately be free people. Paul even said, 2 Corinthians, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. This spirit... In chapter 15, Jesus says, is always testifying back to Jesus. This is the third member of the triune God coming from the Father, from the Son, and always pointing back to them in a mysterious, perfect unity. Or as a pastor named Bruce Milne describes in his commentary on John, I love this. He said, the Spirit is nothing less than the life breath of the exalted Jesus who makes the victory of Jesus available for the people of God in history. Soak on that for a while. The very life breath of Jesus who makes the victory of God available. And the cool thing is, in the midst of all that, Jesus says the Holy Spirit of truth is actually sent to live in you, in me. 
Verse 17, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. That we talk about having a relationship with God. How? It is by the very presence of the Spirit of the Father, of the Son, that living within us that we can know God. You know, as a kid, I grew up in a church uh, that talked a lot about God the Father. They talked a lot about God the Son. They talked a lot about the Bible, but I heard very little about the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. I'm not knocking that tradition. Like they taught me a lot of very valuable things, but it wasn't until later in life that other followers of Jesus said, hey, look, look and see what God's word actually says about this living dynamic spirit who's alive in you. And I was like, what? No one ever told me about this. As far as I knew, the Trinity was the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. But it's like all of a sudden that began to open up for me. And that is the point in my life when all of a sudden this relationship became a relationship. It became a a dynamic interchange with God. It became about learning to listen and to hear and to understand more of who he is and how he has called me to live. And that was the very point when I started realizing that this life he calls me to live, this mission he's called me to lead, is not meant to be lived in my strength for God. It's meant to be lived in his strength with him. And that changes everything. And I'm not claiming to know everything about the Spirit. Man, I'm, I got a ton to learn. But as I got to know this advocate, the Spirit of truth, this Holy Spirit that Jesus promised, I started to realize something else. And as we learn to tune into the frequency of God's Spirit, what does Jesus say can begin to become more of a reality to us? He said, as we learn to live with God daily, We discover a reservoir of peace not found anywhere outside of us. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I can imagine in this moment the disciples were feeling the burden of life when Jesus spoke these words. And you know what? Sometimes life can be darn right heavy. For all of us. There was a point this week, as I was was getting ready for this sermon, I was having one of those days when life was just feeling like too much. I want to make a difference, right? I I want to intentionally pursue the mission of God for me. I want all of those things, like so many of us do. But man, this is just one of those days where if I'm, can I be honest, I was sucking wind emotionally and spiritually. All the responsibilities of life felt more like a cage than a joyful privilege. My own fear of failure were causing me to start second-guessing my own purpose and even starting to say, well, maybe I should retreat back to what's comfortable and safe instead. And this is the very point when I sat with this passage and I allowed just these words to start rolling over my eyes. My peace will be with you. And in that moment, it's like, I can't really explain it. But it's this strength, this hope started just building inside of me. Those, those relentless waves of doubt and self-criticism and fear that just felt like wouldn't let up.
Usually calm. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think it's me. You know, the, the peace that the world gives depends on external circumstances working themselves out. But here's what Jesus promised us, is that we as his people, that we would learn to be aware of a, the residing presence of God within us. A peace that cannot be spoiled, a peace that will not fade. That no matter what happens outside you, that he lives in you and he will be with you. And here we get a sense of what the Christian life is really about. That we're not meant to just live for God and try to just do good things. We are meant to live this life with him. Jesus even explained it this way in in, uh, John 15, the next chapter over. He described this metaphor of a grapevine. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, stay connected to me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. This mission we've been called to go on was never meant to be alone. I imagine God has incredible things for us, things that we can't even fully dream up, but it begins by learning to do, as the psalmist talked about in Psalm 16, to set the Lord before us consistently. But how do we do that? Right? Like, where, where do we even begin? If we want to live this life with God instead of just for him, how do we learn to shift that paradigm in our own thinking? And I just want to give you a few suggestions. These are no means exhaustive, but just a few. First, start your day in conversation with God. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I wake up in the morning and I'm already thinking about everything I have to do that day and anxiety hits me. And it's, it's as if those are the kind of moments that we can easily rush to our phone to look at it, to make ourselves feel better, go to the newspaper, whatever it might be. I want to encourage you, before you pick up anything else, just begin your day by simply saying, Holy Spirit, I receive your peace instead of a troubled heart. Will you lead me today? It's not about the words you say, but it's about that intention of being aware of him. Because if we want to learn to live a life with God, it begins by learning to live a day with God. And if you want to learn to live a day with God, you got to learn to live a moment with God. (laughs) And the first moment of the day is a pretty good one to start. And so as we start there, just learning to begin our days in conversation with him. And then second, pay attention uh, to God's spirit when we're most tempted to lose sight of him. We all have those situations and moments in our lives where uh, we know routinely I get anxious I get stressed out, I get angry. Maybe it's when you're trying to get your kids ready in the morning. (laughs) Or maybe it's that meeting that happens every week. Or maybe it's whenever you're watching the news and eventually you realize the world's burning. And so (laughs) you start to feel that anxiety come up in you. You know when those moments are, so anticipate them. And in that moment, stop and say, whoa, 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 God, you're with me. You're with me. I receive your peace. Show me what to do. And third, take time to begin to learn about who the Holy Spirit is. One of these days, I'll do a whole sermon series on it because I feel like you could go a thousand places from here. But I want to encourage you on your own to begin to learn who the Holy Spirit is. There's a great book I would recommend to you that's actually at our bookstall called The Forgotten God by Francis Chan, talking about that third member of the Trinity. Who is he? It's a great introduction. It's not over. It's not heady at all. It's, it's anybody can pick that up and begin to follow it. 
Or just Google search, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? And start your own study. Start working through those daily and picking out, you know, who is he? What is, what is he about? And then saying, God, show yourself to me. It's always in conversation with God. We read his word in conversation with him. But before we can begin to step out in our unique purpose as God's people, it begins by learning to live with him. Amen. You and I can only realize our purpose for God as we live with God daily. And the amazing thing is, if you follow the story of the New Testament, when does the mission of God really explode? When the Holy Spirit comes. When they're no longer trying to do this thing on their own strength and their own talent, at their own resources, with their own all these things for God, when they stop trying to do all of that and they stop to learn to be with him, that's when he starts to do think the greater things through them. That's my prayer for this church, folks. For all of us, right? All right, let's stand up. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the spirit that is within us. And the spirit that resides uh, with us. That you're not just coming to teach us some things just so that we learn to be good little boys and girls and moral people, but you want a relationship with us. And you provided the very way to make that possible by giving us your spirit to live within us. And God, I know that because we can't see the spirit of God, some of us are are prone to question that whole thing. And so God, I pray that in this moment uh, that you will speak to the doubting hearts. Those who may be like, I don't know, this sounds a little woo-woo. God, I pray that you will just allow your word uh, to be enough for them. And that they say, all right, well, Lord, like, show me. Show me. Because the truth is, God, if you want to give us something, we want to receive it. Because we know that everything you give is good. And everything that is from you is leading us to you. And learning to live a life of love. To be, to know Jesus. To become like him. To do what he did. And so God, I pray that you will set us ablaze as your people. That you will come to rest on every single one of us. And that you will show us what it means to live with you. Not just for you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you. To be your people. Now show us how to deepen that relationship uh, in greater measure. In Jesus' mighty name and everybody said, Amen.